we are beginning a new section of our series. So the whole arc of Scripture, and we're moving from the kingdom of Israel to the promised one. And so I need to do, I need you to give me just a little grace today as I overlap last week's message, but even the last section uh, with the hunger and appetite that leads us to this new, this new, well, this new time in human history, the kingdom, the kingdom of God. So in quick review from last week, um, we talked about the heart, how the condition of the heart matters most. The illustration I used, I'm going to overlap just a little bit again from last week. The illustration I used is uh, years ago, I had a young man that I was working with who uh, brought a, a girl uh, we were young adults, and so brought a girl into the young adult department and was like, hey, I'm interested in getting, you know, I have a new relationship. I'm interested in dating this girl, and I'm maybe even thinking about marrying her. And uh, we all, as we got to know her, we all thought, this is, this, is, this is a bad idea. I don't know if you've ever had a kid come home with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a friend of yours come home with somebody they're dating, and they walk in, and you meet the person they're dating, and you're thinking, this is a this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. Maybe you're sitting with your bad. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Please forgive me. And so, right, but you did. This guy walked in and he had, a, he had this date, this girl that he was dating. And, and the more we got to know her, um, the more we thought, man, you definitely are choosing hot over holy. That's what went through our minds. You're choosing hot over holy. Now, every man wants both, but if you're going to sacrifice, make sure to get the holy. And so uh, he ended up getting married. He married this girl, shared this last week. And uh, in the relationship, it didn't take long in their marriage. And he discovered that she was way more interested in being or staying interesting to men than building a relationship or a home with him. And so he did everything he could to win her over. I mean, everything that he could. He overspent on a house. Man, he worked multiple jobs. He would spend as much money as he could to coerce her, to win her over with extravagance. I mean, buying her shoes, going on extreme vacations. I mean, everything was over the top. Buying a car that they couldn't afford, that she could drive. He did everything that he could to win her over. And eventually she cheated on him again. And so in confronting her, we shared this last week, in confronting her, he sat down with her and he says, uh, he's like, man, I, I know what you've been doing. And she agrees. And it's like in her mind, she's balancing. Like, I got a pretty good life, but I, I don't want to let go of my, my sinful way of living. And so she's like, fine, I'll agree to some accountability boundaries. So they downloaded like an app on their phone where they could like follow where each other's going. And they decided to go to counseling. She went to counseling very reluctantly. And, and he's hoping that now with all of the coercing and the nice things and the extravagant vacations and the expensive clothes, everything that he's doing to give to her. And then on the other side, the accountability, like the high walls and the relationship chains and the, the clear expectations. I mean, he's hoping that he can actually win this girl's heart, heart over. But, but what ends up happening, as we shared last week, is he comes home one day and discovers that she's just, she's gone. She's gone. And here's the reality, right? Like a heart, we talked about this last week, a heart that wants to be faithful. A heart that wants to be faithful needs no chains, no walls, and no expensive extravagance. 
a heart that wants to be faithful. Like when you're in a relationship with somebody that wants to actually be with you and they actually are committed to the relationship and their hearts are in this, you don't need huge walls, huge chains, all these rules and massive expensive extravagance. You don't need that if they actually want to be with you. But on the flip side, a heart that wants to leave won't stay, no matter how chained down, walled in, and extravagantly coerced they are. You can't make them stay, right? Like a heart that wants out is going to find a way out. I mean, a heart that wants out is going to leave the Garden of Eden. It's just going to happen at some point. You can't build. We talked about this last week, and this is really kind of the sum of the whole Old Testament. This is the sum of the whole Old Testament. Let me, let me say that again, just, just for emphasis. It's like when the pastor says it again, but slower, that means he wants you to remember it, right? So here we go. This is the sum of the whole Old Testament. You can't build big enough walls, strong enough chains, or strict enough laws to make human hearts good. You can't. Real change must begin with a... That's right. It has, it has to be an actual changed heart. That's the sum of the whole Old Testament. In fact, uh, the story that we told last week, and I want to hit this again because it just lays the road for the promised one. We're bridging these two worlds now with the cross and the sinner. I like that. The, the, whole, the whole metaphor of even the stage, I, I like that. We talked about it last week, right? We, we used the Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah story from last week, that whole saga, right? Like, so these guys... Finally, they're able to go back and rebuild the perfect city of God, right? Ezra, Zerubbabel takes them back. Ezra proclaims the law really clearly. Nehemiah builds the walls really high. I mean, they're separating themselves out as far as they can from sin. They've, from their rebellion, they've confessed, I'm sorry, God, forgive us. And they come back, they get a chance to like build the, the perfect, to build the perfect, they get a chance to build the perfect city. They get the president that they wanted, they get the legal laws of the land to be exactly what they wanted. All the politics match their faith as closely as you will see it in the Old Testament. Like it's all aligned right there in that moment. Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah. They build the kingdom of God to the best of their ability. In fact, if you're a Hebrew scholar, which you probably aren't, that's okay. Um, you will see even like the poetic language in Hebrew that's tied in. Like they literally, it's like we're building a garden. We're, they're trying to remake like the Garden of Eden, this perfect place. And then you end, the very end of it, we talked about this last week, Nehemiah 13, 23 through 25. So Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah, that whole saga ends with this. In those days, I, this is Nehemiah saying it, I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod, and they could not even speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. And I confronted them, now, now notice this, in this perfect city, this is how the story ends. I confronted them and cursed them and beat them and pulled out their hair. And I also made them take an oath in the name of God saying, you shall not give your daughters to their sons or take 
their daughters, for your sons, or for yourselves, right? And we remember from this previous messages, right, like the, the language of Ashdod, this represents the adoption of the lifestyle from the region of Philistia. So the, the Philistines, remember Goliath, these people are vile, child-sacrificing, hedonist, sexually sinful, I mean, you name it. So what happens in this perfect city is they try to build the perfect city of God. The rules of God made clear. The walls built really high. Separation from sinful people. The law of the land matches the religion of the people as perfectly as they were able to do it. And what ends up happening is the people that live in the city still peer over the walls and they're like, ooh, that looks interesting. And it doesn't take long and sin poisons this perfect walled city. So then you're left, right? Like the whole sum of the Old Testament kind of leaves you with this, this thought. The Old Testament is full, full of failed attempts at controlling people into being good. Okay. If you don't get this, you miss one of the grand arc ideas of the whole Bible. The Old Testament is full of failed attempts at controlling people into being good. It ends with a season of silence from heaven, and scholars call it the 400 years of silence, right, between the Old Testament and New Testament, where it's like they're crying and they're praying. I mean, think about it. During this time, there are countless prayers for an all-powerful God to unleash his might and stop all this evil. We can't do it. There's nothing we can't do. We can't chain people down enough. We can't build walls high enough. We can't make rules strict enough. We can't have presidents be exactly who they want enough. We can't have the laws of the land be as religiously aligned enough. We can't make human hearts good. We need the God of the universe to do what only the God of the universe can do. We need you to come and unleash your power in a way that you only can to finally fix what's totally broken. So you wonder, like, what's God going to do? I mean, you have them looking for, like, God to send this Messiah that's a super soldier. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the Avengers, but heaven version. Jesus Thor is going to land on the planet, march into the city, and strike down with a lightning blow all these people that, that don't believe in or are sinful or are breaking. Like, that's maybe what he's going to do. The super angel soldier. No, maybe what God's going to do is he's going to create a disease that only kills sinful people. No, no, maybe what God's going to do, I mean, like, they're looking for a divine significant impact to finally fix what's broken. So finally, the might of heaven, the power that created the universe, the one who holds eternity in his hands, and with the word begins and ends worlds, unleashes his plan to eradicate evil on this world. And what does he finally do? Luke 2, 1 through 7. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration, registration with Quirinius, or when Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and all 
went to be registered to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Millions, I mean, maybe billions of prayers went up for God to unleash his might and finally fix what's broken. And God sends his son as a, a baby. We have an upside-down view of power. Let that settle in. This is God's mighty answer to all the evil made clear in the Old Testament. This is God's, the baby, the baby, the baby is God's power move. That's God's power move is the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Think of all of the humility in that imagery. And and let's be honest. Back then, the Pharisees, the Sadducees of that day, and even religious people today, everyone wanted an Ubermensch, right? Like Nietzsche's Superman. That's what we want. I just realized in the next service, they're going to have to translate German to English to Spanish. I didn't think that through. But what they all wanted was Nietzsche's Superman. That's what we all want. That's what we want today. We want a superhero, political, military leader to come and take out everything we hate. They wanted someone who would transcend us messy, measly, little humans and take over. And God sent a a baby human. That's not a Superman. Where's his muscles? Where's his lightning hammer? We learn the upside down view of power in Mary's song. I'm actually going to read this. So we do like a little NIV, a little ESV, a little children's Bible. And now I'm even going to read this out of the message. Uh, just It's kind of fun every once in a while to read through the message because it can be very heart-touching. And with Mary's song, I'm going to read this out of the message, though we study almost entirely out of the ESV publicly. But the message has Mary's song, the upside-down, don't miss this, the upside-down view of what power actually is. Luke 1, 46 through 55. And I'm going to invite Josh up. I'm going to pull. It's going to be a little longer of a closing, so don't, don't, I'm not tricking you, right? Like, when I invite him up and you think, oh, he's going to be done in two minutes, it's not going to be two minutes. But, but, but I, but I, want, to, I want to lead a thought through, and, and let's just be honest, whenever the piano hits, it's like, oh, there's the Holy Spirit, right? So just bear with me, bear with me here. Okay, bear with me. I love you, Josh. Luke 1, 46 through 55, Mary's song. See the upside down view of power. And Mary said, I am bursting 
with God news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one look at me, and look what happened. I am the most fortunate woman on the earth. What God has done for me will never be forgotten. The God whose very name is holy, set apart from all others. His mercy flows in wave after wave on those who are in awe before him. He bared his arm and showed his strength. Bared his arm and showed his strength. Just, I mean, again, think about this. Mary's pregnant and then we'll have the baby. He shows his strength. He bared his arm and showed his strength, scattered the bluffing braggots. He knocked tyrants off their this. Knocked tyrants off their horses. This will pull the victims out of the mud. This The starving poor sat down to a banquet. The callous rich were left out in the cold, all all because of, of this power. He embraced his chosen child, Israel. He remembered and piled on the mercies, piled them high. It's exactly what he promised beginning with Abraham right up until now. Okay, I I really pray in the name of Jesus, God, by your grace, let your spirit reveal in ways that it only can. The compassionate love between a mother and her baby has Mary's heart way more than any Roman law or orchestrated fear from Caesar. Let me say this again. The compassionate love between a mother and her baby has Mary's heart way more than any Roman law or orchestrated fear from Caesar. God's answer to a broken world is to win hearts over that are lost in sin. Not destroy them, win them over. That's what he's trying to do. We all know this is true. If you really stop and think about it, even in your own experience, like Father's Day, I'm, I'm a dad with my babies. We all know this is true. If you really stop and think about it, it was November 13th, 2020. Leslie came in to me, of course, during COVID, and she says, Mike, I think it's time. My water broke. Julia's going to come. We got to go to the hospital. So we load up in the car. And we go to the hospital, and it's COVID lockdown, right? This is early enough. Everybody's terrified still. You can feel the iron grasp of the government trying to get more and more and more control and the fear of people. People are afraid of the government, and the other side is afraid of the disease, and their fears fight each other. 
So one group is like, we really need to stay locked down because we're really afraid of the disease. The other group's like, I'm afraid of the government. We really need to be free and risk the disease. And they just, they fight each other, fight each other. Fear enables more fear, enables more fear. And just everything's at war and everybody's afraid. And how dangerous is this going to be? And what do we do? And even in my mind, like I remember the doctor saying, hey, we don't exactly know what this does to babies. So we were kind of really glad that the hospital was going to be real locked down to protect our brand new baby. We didn't know what it was going to do to babies back then. So we go to the hospital and we get checked in and we go to the room and they screen us for COVID as she's going in to give birth to the baby. And then as we're holding the baby after this moment, we find out we're COVID positive. So it's like, man, what's going to happen? Like, in that, that awesome. Have you ever had moments where you're like, how is this a plan? And so the doctor comes in and they're like, hey, we're not entirely sure what this is going to do to babies, but would you be willing to let us just continually run tests on your baby? Because, I mean, like, there are other kids that are going to be born in this too. And so we're navigating all this. And then you also feel like the iron grip of all the fear, right? So, like, they walk in. And from that point on, we have no idea, I've shared this before, what any of the people that helped us even looked like. Because it's like, you know, they look like spacesuits coming in at that point. And they literally told us, we need you to stay in your room. Can't go. I mean, like, I felt like a rat in a cage, man. Like, can't go anywhere, can't do anything. And, of course, the way they talk make me, made me feel nervous about my baby. Like, all of this is happening. And, uh, and in the middle of all of this fear of man, fear of law, fear of the disease, fear, 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 power, control, might, chain down, wall in, try to make people do what they want them to do, right? I just want to show you this picture. You know, I held my baby. My wife held our baby. And the love of that moment won my heart over. I mean, just overshadowed in a massive way. Made tiny outgrew any other thing that was going on, right? Like, I mean, at that moment, it's like, what's happening with the government? What's happening with politics? What's happening with the law? What's happening with the... I don't know. It's all a mess. But man, when you have these moments where your heart is awash with charitable love, if you've had those moments, you know it is more powerful than anything Rome could ever do. When your heart is really awash in those moments with charitable love, it is more powerful. A heart won over is more powerful than anything Rome could ever do. A heart that's won over. You see, humans want bigger chains, bigger walls, more power, clearer rules. We want to Force hearts to become good. But the God of the universe knows that it's only a transformed heart. That's it. That's the only real power. The God of the universe who intimately knows us understands the greatest power to heal a sinful heart isn't external chains, walls, or strict laws. It's... Well, I get his first service, coffee's still kicking in. 
What actually is it? It's hearts won over. That's it. That's the real power. That's the real power. That's the real power. Now, I'm not saying as you mature kids that you should not have rules. Definitely have rules. Have clear expectations and clear boundaries. But you need to understand all of these rules, boundaries, all of this stuff is secondary to the huge power of a heart that's won over. Even as your kids age, if you've ever had a rebellious teenager... If you have a teenager that wants to honor the rules of the home and wants to honor their parents, you don't have to come up with strict rules. You don't have to lock their window. You don't have to change the door, whatever. You don't have to do those things if the kid wants to be there. If the kid is constantly trying to get away, you are constantly trying to lock down more, tighten up tight. Like, it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. So here's what I want to do. Um, I want us to be a people that learn to pray for hearts. Hearts. I just want to pause for a moment before I go to the next part of this service. And even now, Holy Spirit, you bring to mind hearts that the people in this room might be aware of that need changed, a heart that needs changed, not chained, a heart that needs changed. Do you have a child? a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, a friend, a neighbor. Maybe it's even your own heart. We must be a people praying for the hearts of those around us. Okay. This is the power move. More important, I know some of you won't agree with this, but just remember the whole arc of Scripture. More important than who's president. That's important. I'm not saying it's not not binary. It's not all off or all on. I'm just saying what's more important to the future of your kids and grandkids loving Jesus, what's more important is their hearts aimed right. That's more important. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all the way through the Old Testament, story after story after story, they can live in absolute geopolitical chaos and be close to Jesus. That matters. President stuff does matter. It is important. But what matters more to the future of your children, the future of your grandchildren, is the condition of their heart towards God. That's the most important thing. That's what you need to be praying for 
most. You need to talk about your love of Jesus more than your anger at the government. Your kids and your grandkids need to hear you talk about your love of God. You need to model a heart aimed rightly. That is the power move, my friends. That is the power move. Loving rightly and teaching them to love rightly, that is the power move. We must be a people praying for the hearts of those around us. So here's what I would say, just to be real bold and to be a little bit pushy, because I love you so much. (laughs) I really do. I love you so much. If you want to distinguish yourself as someone who is praying for someone's heart, I just ask you this morning, if you would write their name down on the Next Steps card, because we want to pray for them too. You don't have to put why, but if you want to, you can. You can just write a name if you want. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a brother, maybe it's a sister, maybe it's a kid. Would you write down their name on a Next Steps card and here in a moment, bring it forward. Distinguish yourself as somebody praying for people's hearts. That's the power move. A changed heart. And here in a moment, you can pull the next steps cards out now if you want. That's okay. Yeah, you can do that. Pull them out. When you do come forward, I would encourage you. Don't just, I mean, like, it's, it's cool if you're in a rush and, you know, you got some. But come, stop, and just be before the Lord and say, man, In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would work on my son's heart. That you would do what only you could do to warm their heart to you. There's no chain, there's no wall, there's no strict rule that is more powerful than their heart being changed. And we even have prayer counselors. In fact, I'd encourage you, there's something really powerful. Two or more gathered, of course we're gathered here, but even to speak out loud, I'd encourage you, if you want, you don't have to do this, but I'd encourage you, if you want somebody to pray with you over that name, you can walk up to one of our prayer counselors and just go, hey, um, really quick, this is my neighbor, and honestly, he's wrecking his marriage and home, and he needs a new heart. Would you just pray with me over this person's heart? And let the prayer partner pray with you. We need to distinguish ourselves as a people who pray for people's hearts. That's the power move. Not that the other stuff doesn't matter at all. It's not binary. It's not that it doesn't matter at all. It's just the real power move is about the heart. So even now, Lord, I ask in your name, as people think about it, you bring to mind a name, you bring to mind a person, a heart that they need to be praying for. God, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, it is ultra clear that your power move to humanity was to win hearts over. That's the power move, is to win hearts over. You want to rescue lost people. Um, God, that's what you desire. 
And somehow, so many of us have ended up just like the Pharisees and Sadducees of old. We want the Nietzsche Superman instead of compassionate, loving Jesus. We want to destroy the people we hate, not see their hearts transformed. The power move is a heart change. And I pray that it would begin with the people in our spheres. Right now, bring to mind a name, a cousin, an aunt, an uncle, a friend, a neighbor, a child. Maybe it's even a parent who has a heart that is not healthy and not right. And I pray that we would become a people that pray for hearts. Bring to mind a name and give us the courage to step out and distinguish ourselves as a praying people for hearts. Give us a passion for the lost that they might see the hope and love of Jesus and be set free from the enemy's grasp in your name. You do what only you can do by changing hearts in the name of Jesus. Amen. Take some time. Write on the card as God leads you. Pray for Thanks for listening to Sunday Sermon on the Made for More podcast. If you are not connected in a church community, we would love to connect with you. Send us a message on social media or fill out a digital next steps card at encountertrinity.com slash next steps.